And in case you were wondering when I appeared, I appeared during the prayer. It was miraculous. Although me and John ran into each other, so we'll have to work on that transition there a little bit. You know, it's a new year. There's a lot of things going on. And yesterday I had the privilege of being at a wedding. And if you didn't know about that, our world-famous Mana Tacos is now no longer single. Josh and Jenna are now one. And it was uh, quite a, an incredible wedding. Um, I don't think I've ever seen such a choreographed dance routine. So for those of you, if there's a video available of that, I think I would request the Josh and Jenna dance off. It was, it was a truly miraculous start to a wedding. I went to the photo booth afterwards and I said, if you guys put one half of the time that you did in your dance routine into your marriage, it will survive swimmingly. So um, they have that going for them. I guess I needed to work on this too. It's just going to be one of those. Uh, along with Josh and Jen's wedding, which was fabulous, unfortunately, in case you guys did not hear, um, one of our beloved, Gene Getz, actually passed this week, um, unknown to Michelle that there was something going on. So just want to let you guys know that because it was so sudden and they were actually here in town, um, they are going to have the service this Saturday at 1 p.m. here. So they wanted the church to know, and it is posted on our page, but it was completely uh, unknown and a pretty difficult weekend. So traditionally, it's why I like to take the last two weeks of the year off, because it just seems like whatever can happen in the year kind of just loads at the end of the year. And then you get to this beginning new day, and you want to start the year, and, you're, and yet it just feels like there's just so much stuff that you're already carrying into day one. And I think that's probably why I look so much forward to having my grandson come over on Friday and just babysit and just kind of lose my mind and be a grandfather. But of course, uh, I had to leave and work on the message because of all the stuff that was going on. And, and my wife decided to entertain my one-year-old grandson by handing him the remote. <laughs> I am now the proud owner of a new sports package. <laughs> and my cable bill has gone up $169 in the last 48 hours, thanks to my one-year-old, and none of us can fix it. But I'm really enjoying every single channel that I've never had before. And I'm trying to figure out how I can rebudget in the new year to afford a $400 a month uh, TV and internet. But you guys don't have real problems like that, right? If you hand him anything you want, do not hand him the remote. I'm expecting it to be in Spanish with, you know, National Geographic only. But instead, I got the Golf Channel and all kinds of military channels, which has been fabulous. So I just got to reel it in, John. We had the heaters on. I feel like I need the fans on, okay? We're going to start a new book this year. It is a new year. I'm excited to start a new book. And the most incredible thing for me about starting a new book is we just finished James. That was my third time teaching through the book of James. It seems like at this stage of my life, I'm officially 57. Um, I'm officially kind of a grandparent. I have four grandchildren. And I feel like at this stage of my life, God has opened up a whole new level of the, you know, the layer of the onion. And I'm starting to see things anew. And so me and Jeannie were sitting down, and Jeannie does all these fabulous entry slides, and she was talking about, okay, it's a new book, and you got to, it's the rebuilding. Every time you teach Nehemiah, it's, it's about the wall, right? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I like rebuild, repair, reforce. I had all these fabulous R words. And then I started working on the message. And as the week kind of developed, all of a sudden, everything that I thought about Nehemiah, I don't think I'm going to use any of those words, actually. Isn't it just weird how the Lord can just speak to you anew about something like, I have taught Nehemiah all the way through, thoroughly through twice. And yet, what I want to share with you guys this week is that I'm going to just do the intro today, chapter one and the intro. 
But just what I've already discovered this week in God's call is that I believe Nehemiah, it is a story about building a wall. There's no doubt about that. And how many of you kind of know Nehemiah as a story about building a wall, right? 80%, right? But did you realize that Nehemiah is not only a, we think of it like a standalone book. It's not a standalone book. It's the continuation of a saga. And I also thought, like many of us, that Nehemiah was the author. So when I went to do my background this week and thought, okay, let's find out about Nehemiah, I found out that Ezra actually wrote the book. So that the actual way I can teach you about Nehemiah is first to teach you about Ezra. Because Ezra, Nehemiah, the sequence in the Bible is 100% connected. How connected is it? It's just as connected as our online listeners and our in-house listeners are. It's the, same, it's the same book. Because Ezra actually has information about how the journey back to Jerusalem starts. So before I get started this morning, I want to pray. I want to invite you guys to pray with me that the Lord would remove all the distractions that have come with us to the new year, including myself, and that you could humble yourself to the reality that a book that we all know and that we all love, a concept of rebuilding, which we all kind of, it's a new year, it feels so exciting, may actually be something more about call and what call actually means to a believer. And I really pray that this morning that you can come with me on this journey to the most incredible account of Ezra and Nehemiah that I can possibly give you. Father God, first and foremost, on behalf of Jean and Michelle Getz and the family, Father, I just want to lift them up to you this week. I know that Michelle is going to have an incredibly difficult week in front of her, and it's already been really difficult. And I'm so grateful that the community of God that she had here, um, matter of fact, it was really beautiful that Jean and Michelle came at Christmas and had some time with the church for, for whatever that random reason was that you brought them here, Father. That truly ends up being a divine appointment. And I just pray that you would be with all the different accommodations and all the different things that have to happen, Father, and then also the care that needs to go along with it afterwards. I pray that the church would rise up mightily and be an incredible source of strength. And I also pray for her family and those left behind in her home, Father, that you would just use this situation somehow to glorify your name, Father. We know that all things work together, so even in this, we pray for that. I also want to lift Josh and Jenna up to you as they begin their new life this week, Father. Just thankful that a, a service could be built around the principles of God. Very refreshing to see a happily married mom and dad, a happily married families, not only just embrace marriage, but celebrate marriage on this stage and celebrate what you're doing in their lives, Father. I pray that all those young people, it was, it was probably a wedding of 50 to 70 percent of young people, and I just pray for the influence that you're giving Josh and Jenna, Father, that it would be a source of encouragement to them to not only strengthen the call of marriage, Father, but strengthen what it means to be brought together by God. And Father, I also pray like his mom prayed that what, what you have brought together that no man would put asunder, Father, that you would protect that marriage. Father, be with the church right now. Be with all the different things going on as I'm aware of health issues. A couple of last-minute texts from some families that desperately wanted to be here this morning and find themselves sick and once again facing those issues. I pray for the online community as well, Father, that you would just continue to use Lighthouse Community Church as a source of strength as a beacon of hope, Father, as a waypoint that they can anchor to and simply say that no matter what the new year brings, good, bad, or indifferent, Father, we, we wake up every morning with anticipation that this is the day that you have made, so we will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we do these things in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen. So Nehemiah, a book about rebuilding, or is it? I tell you what, when I started this week and I started looking at some of the background and I finally got to Ezra and I realized something that Ezra actually begins the story. The first 
six chapters of Ezra talk about the first person to actually return to Jerusalem and begin this incredible rebuilding process. And the first individual that actually goes, he has an incredibly beautiful name, which I'm dumbfounded that it's not popular today, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Those of you new parents looking for suggestions, Zerubbabel. Uh, and I heard rubble in there, and I thought, you know, I'm, an, I'm a name person, so let's look up, and hopefully it means a man of the rubble, because not, not the case. But he is a man of Babylon, which means he's born in captivity, he's born in Babylon, and he is going to be the first one who's called back to do the work. So Ezra begins his first six chapters, chapters one through six, with the account of Zerubbabel. Now Zerubbabel is released by King Cyrus, and King Cyrus sends him back with guards and with some uh, resources to go rebuild the temple. And so that is going to be his singular focus. He goes back to Jerusalem to first build the altar and next rebuild the temple. He has no interest in rebuilding the walls or any infrastructure, just those two things. He goes back there, so he has a call. He goes back there and he begins this building. And he once again finds out that after you have a call, you're going to have a conflict. And his conflict is with the people from the surrounding areas wanting to help out. Now, all this is because these guys have been displaced, right? They're working from Susa, and Susa is about um, 700 miles away from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is actually held in Babylon as captive. So when Zerubbabel goes back, his job is to try to rebuild this thing, and he gets it going, and he gets the altar built, and he gets the temple built, and he's trying to deal with the people that are in town and some of the different issues that he has to deal, deal with. But then when he goes to call the Spirit of the Lord back to the temple, something happens. What happens is the Lord's Spirit does not return to the temple. And so Zerubbabel ends, even though he brought 50,000 people back, he ends with this situation being undone. And I find it interesting, about 2 million to 3 million people were actually sent away and that only 50,000 decided to return. So of God's chosen people to return to their homeland, to return to their promised land and try to rebuild that which has been destroyed, only 3% of the people answered the call. And unfortunately, these first three people were not able to accomplish what they were called to do. Now, each person had a problem. Like I said, his was there was grandchildren that was left behind of the people that were called, the adults that were sent away, and the grandchildren wanted to jump in when they saw him rebuilding and help out. And he told them, you are not part of this and you can't have anything to do with this. Now, that's going to be interesting because the pattern that Zerubbabel sets, call, conflict, and conclusion, then follows everything. Once again, you can see where call, conflict, and conclu conclusion is very interesting to what I actually started down the road with. And now it's going to be redo. Yes, our new word will be R for redo. Thank you, G. So after, after Zerubbabel does this, then he's going to pass the torch. The next one to pass the torch to is Ezra himself. Now, Ezra is actually a scribe. So what's interesting is when we think about Nehemiah and we think about the book of Nehemiah, Ezra is the one who wrote it. Ezra is actually a prophet who's known as being a scribe. So Ezra says, you know what, I'm going to go back there. And in his book from chapters 7 through chapters 10, he records his account of going back to Jerusalem. Ezra's not a builder. He's a scribe. He's a, he's a priest. So what he's going to work on is the spiritual reformation of Israel. Right? They have the altar. They have the temple. Maybe if they could spiritually be reformed, then they could get back to what their call is. He goes back there, and he finds out that I'm going to teach them the Torah, and I'm going to teach them to live by the laws, and if they do this, maybe the Spirit of the Lord will return. Unfortunately, he has a call. Now he has a conflict. His conflict is the people had intermarried. This continues to be a problem for them, right? 
this idea that you've intermarried with your captors. Well, they've been there for a period of time, so they've had plenty of time to acclimate to society, so they have intermarried. And so Ezra writes a decree, and his decree is simply this. Anyone who's married to a non-Jew must A, divorce them, and then B, send them away, women and children included. Now, that's a pretty powerful decree because not only does everybody not do it, but many of the people had just heard in uh, Malachi 2, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And so they had just heard a conflicting conflict that was going on with them. And so Israel, once again, and they're trying to rebuild Jerusalem, has this situation where God's called someone to do something. There's a situation people don't trust God in it. Ezra trusts himself. And so not only does Ezra not able to complete his task, but the walls remain down and the spirit of the Lord remains void of the city of Jerusalem. Now, both these attempts were earnest. Both these attempts are what God called them to do. And so in that is where I started getting this idea that call now supersedes need because as a priest, he already had a job. Ezra already had a job. His job was pretty convinced of what he was doing. And even Zerubbabel had a job. And what we're going to find about Nehemiah, he has a job too. But one of the things that you will find out with this message is that call supersedes what you do. What you do in life may continue to change. Today you might be a carpenter, tomorrow you might be a musician, but if God calls you to do something, that's going to end up being the thing that you want to figure out most in life. So when Nehemiah finally starts his book, and Nehemiah is now about 445 BC, Nehemiah's call, his call is to not only return and rebuild the walls, but restore worship. That's where rebuild and restore and all those words came from. He needs to restore worship in the temple. It's not just about building walls. It's about restoring worship. It's about restoring relationship. The problem for Nehemiah, once again, though, is he's going to answer the call, and then we're going to find out in the upcoming chapters from chapters 2 through chapter 6, seven separate incidences that he's going to have to deal with, seven separate conflicts that will arise I think the middle of the book is probably a fabulous leadership component about how to deal with all the different types of conflict. And then he, too, will also have to deal with the conflict of the people that exist in the town. The people that exist in the town, they also want to jump back in. They also want to get back involved, like what else happened with Ezra. And he's going to tell them, no, you cannot be involved with what God has called us to do. Now, Nehemiah's name means God comforts. And he's definitely going to have to be someone who comforts because his initial job as he gets uh, to Babylon is the the king's cupbearer. Now, that sounds like a fairy tale job, but it's a real job. And his job is to taste the wine before the king every single day. And what that means, it's not whether it's a good wine or it's a bad wine. It's whether or not it's poisoned, right? So for 12 years, he has the opportunity to serve the king. He's serving the king 700 years away, and he's serving him in Susa. And so because of that, he also has privileges, which allows him for his family to come and visit. And as the account kind of gets moving along, one day his brother comes to visit him and asks him how the Jewish people are doing back home. His brother then reports to him that things are not only not good, but the city remains in ruins. We are not safe from enemies, and, and we do not have a king. And in this news, Nehemiah's heart is broken, and God begins to put his call together by putting first a burden on his heart. This is about 15 years after Ezra's last attempt, and this is about 100 years from the first attempt from Zerubbabel going back with those first 50,000. So the situation is still dire. Remember that no walls mean no king. No king means no army. No king, no army means no identity. And ultimately what it means is Israel as a people group does not exist, and they're not fulfilling the prophecy. 
Now, what was the prophecy? The prophecy was that Jerusalem would be a place where God's name would be known, right? It was a land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob. So there's a lot of prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. So Nehemiah sits on this burden, and he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? He says, I want you to go rebuild the walls and restore order to the temple so that worship can be instituted to me in Jerusalem. Once again, I mentioned that he was a cupbearer. He was in the king's court. And because of this, he was given a position of honor. Now, because he was in the king's presence on a regular basis, that meant that his countenance and who he was as an individual need to always be at his upper game, right? He could not come into the king's presence and have kind of a frown or be dismayed because if he did, to be in, fr in front of the king, that could be something that would not only be pro potentially problematic, but it could be life-threatening. So a positive countenance need to be part of everything that he did. He's going to need that when he goes to rebuild the walls and deal with all that. That engraving that God has taught him in his job is going to really help him in his leadership roles. And because he enjoyed access and was doing this for 12 years, when he did go to ask the king for something, he had privilege, right? He knew that if he asked the king for something because of who he was, that God could use it. So he had all the success that a person in captivity could possibly want, right? Remember, they're in captivity, and he has all the success you could possibly want. Yet in one conversation from his brother, he realizes something, that when God places a call on your heart, that burden doesn't go away. A call is the one thing that you have to answer because without answering a call in life, your life is undone, right? He, he's living there. He has everything that he could possibly want. And yet one conversation with his brother puts him into a fasting mode, into a kind of a hold mode. And for four months, he begins to go into prayer and ask the Lord, what would you have me to do with this situation? So let me read for you. I'm going to just read uh, all 11 verses here. And hopefully I can see this perfectly clear. So the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twelfth year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanai, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had turned and survived captivity about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, Lord, O God of heaven, great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now hear attentive and your eyes open to the prayer of your servant, which I am now praying before you day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which he, we have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned, and we have acted very corruptly against you, and have not kept your commandments, nor your statutes, nor your ordinances, which you have commanded us, your servant Moses. Remember the words which you have commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you have been scattered or in the most remote most parts of the heaven i will gather them and they will be bring them to one place where i have chosen to cause my name to dwell they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand O oh lord O oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servant's delight and revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion 
before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Now the first thing I want to discuss with you is the idea that Nehemiah first had to realize that this idea of a call was something that he was not going to be able to get rid of. Right? He, has a, he has a really good job. He has really good prestige. He's figured out how to live with the people that God has called him to be with. And he's doing everything that he possibly can to kind of live in peace with those people that he's with. Yet all of a sudden, in one conversation, there's something so overwhelming that he can't get rid of it. Now, I made a note here that burden is something, uh, whether it's physical or spiritual, that poses this great opportunity. It's, it's not just a passing feeling or an emotion. It's something that not only doesn't go away, but it remains. Now, whether or not you ever answer it or not, that's an interesting conundrum. But the idea is that this burden that God has placed on you often will lead to the call that God has asked you to do. So Nehemiah has this great job, and he realizes that everything he could possibly want as a Jew is fabulous, except for one thing. He doesn't want to forget his roots. And his roots tell him that they're not home. They're not where they're supposed to be. So even though he has a job and he has all these different things that he's respected by, he asks one question. Am I able to build the kingdom of God while I'm in Babylon? And I think he's probably said, well, for 12 years you have. You've built this relationship, you've built this rapport, and you've trusted God with everything you can. But now one thing reigns true. Is this who God would have you to be? Are you doing what God would have you to do? And I tell you what it basically tells me, that a call helps me answer the question, who you are, okay? Who you are is not necessarily what you do, because what he did was cupbearer, and that was a job that he needed to do. But it wasn't who he was. He was a Jew, and he was a Jew from Jerusalem, and he wanted to get back home and restore those roots and restore that prophecy. And I can tell you this. If you learn how to combine your call with your job today, you will not only live a successful life, but you will live a life that's very fulfilling. Because Nehemiah is going to realize something, that you can all have something that you do in life, and you might do it very well. But if you're not doing it for the Lord, it might be void. And so I think kingdom building is another fabulous word that I'm not really sure how it fits in here. But Nehemiah wanted to do something with his life where he answered a call and this burden was to go build, rebuild the kingdom of the Lord. And so he took four months in prayer to sit and think about it. Now, I don't know about you, but the last time God called me to do something, I took about four seconds or four minutes to do it, right? I just don't feel like I have that kind of time in my life to really sit and contemplate something as God's calling me. But I want to clarify something. We're talking about God's call in your life. If God is calling you to do something and you haven't sat and thought about what you need to do, you may want to first just sit by allocating some time to actually sit and pray and fast and ask God, where do you need, uh, where do you feel the need for me to go? What do you feel the need for me to do? Because the reality for Nehemiah, his need was for God's people. And so that's something I think that I can also share with you guys this morning, is that burden will always be for God's heart. And God's heart is always for God's people, right? Other Jews in Babylon had probably heard what was going on. Other Jews had probably thought about what the situation was, and they probably thought, oh, that's, that's really unfortunate. I hope they figure it out. Or maybe someone else will be able to go and take care of it. And too often, that's kind of what we do. When God puts something in our path, when God puts a conversation or something in our kind of peripheral, we're like, hmm, that's interesting, but somebody else is going to do it. And Nehemiah says, no, what happens if God's asking me to do it? And he starts to think about that, and he starts to pray about that, and then he just can't let it go. So I want to encourage you, when you begin to pray about call in your life, always start by asking, God, why would you have me to do this? What is your burden for in this situation? And if you find that the burden that God has placed on your heart is for God's people, um, I can't help but think about uh, someone in 
angel in our church and thinking about that whole ministry. It's like, you've been through something terrible in your life. You've experienced something firsthand that's, for most people, is kind of overwhelming. Now you bring that burden to the Lord and ask him why. And now the Lord begins to let that kind of just supplicate and sit for simmer for a little while. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I want you to do something with it. Like, if this is the one thing in my life that has been the biggest burden to me, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And he says, I want you to use it for my glory. And now you go back and address it. Jeannie, think about cancer, right? Think about some of the things that God has asked each one of us to kind of persevere and endure. I want you to go through this medical condition. I want you to deal with this adversity. And he places that thing in front of us. And then this burden becomes overwhelming. And we're like, Lord, why would you place this on us? And that burden then becomes either an opportunity or, you know, or a burden, just like what it sounds like. And you, the opportunity is to say, okay, somehow, some way, um, my autism, my, my, my spectrum, whatever it is, Lord, you're going to use this to where not only am this going to create in me a new heart, but it's going to create in me an actual call. I would 100% affirm, Matthew, that the call in your life to take this potentially adverse situation and somehow use it for God's glory has been wonderful and a huge blessing for all of us to watch. So God bless you for answering God's call in your life. By the way, if you sit up forward, that's the risk you take that while well, the message is happening, right? <laughs> Justin, keep, be, keep people healthy. We need healthy things, right? That's your call, man. Not my call, your call. I'm eating the donut. You keep everyone on tofu or whatever they're eating. They're good, right? All right, what else did Nehemiah feel in this great burden? So one was the great need for people. The second one was acknowledging just how great his Lord had been and how great their sin was. I mean, even though Israel's sin was so great, as the passage said, if, you, if we're not following your commandments, if we're not following the things that you said, you would displace us. They are displaced. They couldn't be any more displaced than what they are as a nation. He still said something like this. I still realize, look how well you've taken care of us. Even though we're with our captors, even though we're so far away from you, look how well you've kept us. Matter of fact, if you think about some of the other captors, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, even Esther, right? They're all, these people are all dealing with adversity. Jews displaced, all dealing with adversity, trusting God in their situation and scenario. And God is restoring and blessing them and putting them in high positions. And so he first just says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm just going to acknowledge that we have sinned. I'm going to humble ourselves. I'm going to approach it this time rather than go there and say, I'm going to rebuild and I'm going to do and I, I'm not doing anything. If this is what you want done and you're calling me to do it, let me first start by humbling myself and saying, we have sinned. I love that part in the passage where he says, Israel, we have sinned against you, me and my father's house. That's a pretty, that's a pretty monumental claim to stand before God and say, you know what, Lord, we have sinned against you. This is what you said would happen. This is what you promised would happen. And it has happened but because you've also said this, then he also falls back on this. And then he goes into this you part of it. But you have said that you would keep us. And you have promised that you would return us. And you have said and said that we, if we do this, that you would bring everyone back and restore all these different things. So I think that's a wonderful point that I can encourage you. When you have a call in your life, when you believe that God is pointing you towards something, remind yourself of this. If God has called you to do this work, okay, whatever that work is, then you answer to God and to God alone, right? You don't answer to anyone else. And then when you do fall and when you do struggle, whatever the result is, you remind yourself, I'm answering a call to God. This is what God has called me to do. And if God has called me to do this, then whether I have nitpickers or naysayers or, you know, like we said, the problems that he's going to deal with are going to be numerous. Some are going to come from the inside. Some are going to come from the outside. But they never stop coming. But if God has called me to do this work, then the singularity of that focus is all I can do. So I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to go after it with everything I have, and then I'm going to remind God, you called me to this work. 
All right, does that make sense? Nehemiah's burden was lightened by one thing. And knowing how great his God was, he could start his prayer with something like this. I beseech you, O Lord of heaven, great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, I'm not someone who, when I pray, traditionally reads the Bible, but I thought it was kind of interesting. We, you guys remember Pastor Rod did a closing a couple of months ago, and he closed with a, a biblical blessing from the Bible. It's interesting to me how we often forget the power of God's word, that the word spoken to these guys, that prayer spoken 2,000 years ago to the Lord still is powerful. And if you, if you need a supplication prayer, if you need something to just kind of speak and then kind of stand down, think about these words, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God who preserves the covenant of loving kindness for those who love him and keep his command. Think about the power that kind of instills in your relationship, the dependency that you're asking God and saying, look, Lord, this call that you're placing in my life is overwhelming. And as I look through the room and kind of think about the different lives that some of you have and some of the different things that you're involved with, I mean, a lot of us kind of hope that our job is a call. And that's not to say if your job is not exciting and not a call that you still can't be called to do that work. I'm just saying, Call supersedes need. Call supersedes what he's doing. Like, he's a cupbearer to the king. That's what he was doing, but that's not who he was. What he was, Nehemiah was, what Zerubbabel was, and what Ezra was, was a follower of Christ, right? And so that's something that we have in common. If we're followers of Christ, then what we do can change. But in order to truly understand his heart, we have to listen to that call and get directed to who? He directs us to his people, right? That's the most important thing to God is people, People often, I talked with someone this week, and we were talking about um, the earth. I love the earth. I enjoy the earth. I enjoy aspects of the earth, the beach, the mountains, the ocean, fish. I mean, I enjoy all those things. I also realize this, that God's going to restore the earth, right? But there's only a limited time offer that we have to answer call in our life. There's only a limited time offer that we have to go out there and kingdom build in our lives. And so Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, Ezra have one thing in common. If we could just rebuild the temple, if we could just rebuild the place where God exists and restore people back to worship, we know that God's will would be done. Now, I don't know about you, but it's interesting because the temple is still undone as we think about it today, so we have to think about some other things. And one of the things I can think about when call is, if God places a call in your life, then God will place the order of how things will be done, Right? Jerusalem may still be undone today. Jerusalem may still be undone by the time we finish this chapter. Matter of fact, Jerusalem may be undone because the fact that it's claimed by two major religious groups probably means Jerusalem will be the center focal point of anything bad that happens in the world will probably be because of Jerusalem. Why? Because it was a place that God promised his name to reign. It's a place that the whole world should realize that Christmas, Easter, everything that's significant in the world is all predicated on 33 years of one person's life in that small little 20 mile area, right? But the idea that God is the one that places order also tells me that even though it's undone, that means one day it will be done. And I'm getting way far ahead of myself, but I can't help but jump to Revelation 21 because I know how exciting all of you love the Revelation study. But do you remember that concept we talked about in Revelation 21 when the Lord returns to restore earth? What is the one thing he says he's bringing with him? He's bringing us with him, but he's also bringing one building, a new Jerusalem. I'm telling you this week when I started studying this message, I still have a bazillion things running through my mind. I'm human, right? I can't help but process a wedding with choreographed dance routine, and then my brother in ministry, who was 
an elder and a deacon when I was here. The, the guy who's the everything guy in the church, you know, the Lord taking him home. I mean, it's a lot to process, but I think about, sometimes when I read God's word, I, I try to like overthink my responsibility to God's word. I've been doing this for 30 years and I'm a seminary student. And then I read it again and it's like, man, God's word is so powerful. And I'm sure even like for call for Nehemiah, like if you just humble yourself and say, Lord, speak, like I've always heard that. Why, why would you bring a new Jerusalem? Why do you need to bring any buildings? Maybe because order that goes with call means that from the beginning of time, whether we've understood it or not, whether you're a literal creationist or not, I'm a literal creationist. I believe that if the Bible said it, whether or not I can explain it to you doesn't mean it's not true. Amen? If the Bible said it, that's just the way that it is. We can spend the rest of our lives trying to explain what it says, but whether it's water, steam, or ice, it's, you know, it's three different forms. It is what it is. And Nehemiah says, look, Order has been placed by God. If a call has been placed on your life, you can't worry about results or order or how things end up. All you can do is answer what he has placed before you, and he will put that in order. Every single day he has to go to work, and every single day he's working on that wall, he has to realize there's going to be a new conundrum. There's going to be a new problem. So what does he do? He listens to God, he leads others, and he kingdom builds. Because in the end, that's all we can actually do, right? Our, our purpose of this church is to make disciples, make disciples who love God, love one another, and love their community. Guys, call. Think about what call means. If we don't make disciples, we can't do the rest of the call. The call is to make disciples. And the call for Nehemiah is the thing that sets everything about his life in order. Nehemiah, he could have lacked vision. He could have lacked all these different things. And why bother with this? It's been... It's been all this time that it's been unbuilt, and we're doing fine. Maybe God would have us to just be a displaced people living in Babylon. That's just not the way God's word said it. If God's word said, I made my name to be known in Jerusalem, then in Jerusalem, God's name will be known. And that's why I think even today, if you're ever so curious why this small little sliver in the middle of the world continues to be the focal point for so many news conversations, it's because God's word said it, and it's true. Nehemiah says, I will bring them to the place where I, he calls the Lord to remember. You will bring them to a place that you have chosen. Another point of your call is to keep reminding yourself, when you don't understand, fall back and ask God. Say, you called me to do this. You know what's happening with the results. Maybe it's not going the way that I hoped it would go or I wanted it to go, but this is the way that it's going. What would you have me to do? And he's going to tell you the same thing. Stay focused on the call make disciples. Church, we need to make disciples. I know this is not Vision Sunday, but let me give you a, a foretaste of three weeks from now when Vision Sunday comes. Make disciples. If we do anything in life other than make disciples, it's a thing, right? It's a good, it may be a great thing. Mary and Martha principle may be necessary to house the event and do take care of all the people, but if we don't make disciples, if we don't answer God's call, it's not going to fulfill us and it's not going to build the kingdom of God. Finally, what it tells us is the person that God uses, the call that comes to your life, means you have to focus on addressing the problem that God has presented for you, addressing the problem, and following through with whatever God tells you to do about it. I mean, ultimately, dealing with cancer, dealing with some of the health issues, we may never be able to rectify some of the issues that God has placed us in the path of these people. Um, I know in your book, one of the things I love about, Jeannie has a book on cancer. If you guys ever know someone dealing with cancer, and Jeannie is a survivor of it, and she has a book that says every known cancer, every known cancer has been survived, and every known cancer has some miracle story of some kind of foretelling of how it would be, but God has shown himself merciful, right? 
So with the idea that if God places that in your life, you don't have the ability to tell everyone that you're praying with. I've often had people pray for me and my kidney things and say, you know, God is going to heal you. God is going to heal you. God is going to heal you. And I say, you know, if God wants to heal me, amen, that'd be, that'd be fabulous. Dialysis is not fun. But once again, this week as I went to dialysis and I looked around the room and I, I said, God, is there any opportunity in this burden that you've placed on my life? Is there any opportunity today? And there she was again, my little 75, 78-pound Mary, and she couldn't be more than four foot eight. And every single time she has to go through that process, it's excruciating for her. And I just said, do it. Go today and go do it. And I walked just straight up to her because I know the nurse, and I know the nurse is a believer. And I said, do you mind if I pray for Mary while you do the process, the process of, you know, placing everything, which is a little bit uncomfortable. And so I just lifted my hand right there, and I just started praying. I started saying, Lord, be with Mary today, cover. And she just closed her eyes, because she's, she's, the excruciating part for her is also the mental part of watching it. She just closed her eyes, and I just started praying. And I, think, I kept saying to myself, pray long enough for her to get both the needles in, right? Don't do one of those short prayers. Just pray long. And sure enough, when I was done praying, and both of the needles were in, and she looked at me, and she said, it worked. <laughs> and I was like, but we don't pray because it works, right? We pray because it's right. Because we know it's our only hope. And so the fact that God has placed a burden in your life, God, God, don't underestimate the cause. We get to see chapters 2 through 6 and watch it. Each problem that Nehemiah has to deal with is excruciating. Gossip, slander, I mean, nitpicking, naysayers, you know, trouble from within, trouble from within. Whatever he has to deal with, he has to have that idea that we're not doing it because it works. We're doing it because we're called. And it's the only hope that we have. And so what we offer someone when we offer them God is the only hope they have. And if they can trust that, if they can, like Mary did for that woman, she closed her eyes and she, she just trusted that whatever I was praying, whatever I was thinking was more powerful than what she had. God did work and God did show her. By the way, I wish I could pray for everyone in there and I can't. But in moments like that, I'm reminded, you know, ultimately this is what God's call shows us. I'll give you three things that ultimately what a call shows us. Trying to fulfill the need will be an ever-ending, never-failing, unsuccessful job. But answering the call will meet all of your needs. If you can answer the call in your life, whatever God has called you to do. You know, maybe say right now, Pastor Jeff, what God has called me to do is to be a mother. Maybe right now what God has called me to do is just to be a godly wife. I don't know what call means to you. We can talk about it after church. You can send me an email. We can talk about the different things about what call means. But I can just tell you this, if you don't have call in your life, then whatever you're doing is just going to feel undone. It's going to feel like it's purposeless. Like, yeah, you're doing it, and yeah, you're going through the motions, but when you sit down in front of the TV and say, should I turn the TV on or should I turn the TV off, you're going to ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? What was the point of this last 80 hours of my life? If you find yourself asking why, then I think today's message is exclusively for you because what this can instill in your life is because if you don't have call, if you don't have call in your life and realize that God has called you, that even if you are a nurse, even if you are a doctor or a worker, whatever you're doing, you have to bring that call to where you're at. The call has to come to where they're at because I'm not there. The elders aren't there. Wherever you're at, one of the fabulous things about like, Joy and Marcel, I'll get to call you out this way. Marcel has been called to run. God has given him the gift of running. He's still 36 years old and running. 36? 62? 50? 60-ish? 50-something? Let's not give age. Let's just keep it that. 
Marcel still runs more miles every week than most of us will run in a lifetime. You know what that means? Marcel's hanging out with people that none of us are hanging out with. And in that beautiful gifting of run, for no apparent reason to no specific destination, somehow individuals have been given this gift that God tells them to do this, and it satisfies everything in their body. Like, somehow when they're running, regardless of what the weather is, regardless of what cars are doing, whatever's happening in the world, just being free and running puts a need and meets a need in their life that they can't explain. And when they're all done running and sitting around talking about the eight miles that they just ran for no apparent reason to no specific direction and ended at that destination and somehow it's so great and satisfying, he has community with people that you and I don't have community with. And Marcel has been really faithful to pray for that community for many years. And as the elders, we get to pray for all your prayer requests, by the way, if you turn in prayer requests on the back of your cards. Every Wednesday, we get to pray for that. And we love Marcel's prayer requests because it's about 35, 40 people deep. And there's a section in there called the Lindas. You guys don't know about this. I'm going to share Lindas. I love the Linda section. It's one of my favorite sections. All those Lindas get prayer, and I get to think about them all week long. Why? Because he's been called to minister to runners. Once again, I could tell you guys this, if you bring call into your life, if you're lucky enough to have call and your job supersede and marriage one another, you are going to live a very satisfied life. Matter of fact, here's the way I can tell you that someone's call and their job is met, is they love their work. Like, I love my work. I love my work. My work is not easy. It's not, it's not always ending on a good, timely basis. It's not always convenient, but I love what I do. And I've always felt so blessed to tell my kids that if you get to do what you love to do and what you're called to do, then it, why? It doesn't feel like work. It feels like this is what God has called me to do. So whether I want to do it or not, woe to me if I don't do it. But if I do it and I trust God with it, then even when I don't understand, it's okay. Even when I don't arrive at the destination that I wanted or hoped for, it's okay. And even when I don't see the order of like, okay, God, what do I do next? It's okay. Because he restores all those things. When you face obstacles and oppositions in your life, don't ask why, say, thank you, Lord. You're only going to face obstacles and opposition if you're answering a call. To answer a call means to fulfill God's will. If you're fulfilling God's will in your kingdom building, then the obstacles and the opposition come with it. Right? If you're, if you're going through life right now and you're like, well, Pastor Jeff, I just want to tell you, I'm in a pretty good state. Right now, everything is, my Spanish brothers would say, todo tranquilo. It's pretty cool, pretty mellow. I would just say, okay, you might be building, but you may not be building God's kingdom. You may be building your kingdom, right? If you find yourself kind of just going through the motions and there is no spiritual attacking in that, then I think it's okay to ask, Lord, is this, is this where you would have me? Or have I found something that I can do that substantiates pay, right, that gives me the opportunity to live the way that I want to live. And in that, just like many other people, the call, the phone's been ringing. Like you guys do this with your phone, right? You just put it on silence. And then pretty soon, even the vibration bothers you. So then you just turn it off. Silence all incoming messages. It's like the call doesn't stop, and you know what the call is, but you've just kind of silenced it. Why? So you can live as previously recorded the life that you've chosen for yourself. And I, I don't blame you. I mean, life is pretty hectic. I mean, it's nice every once in a while to have a sequence where my phone doesn't ring for 24 hours. But in the same sense, when my phone starts ringing like that and I realize the panic level of life going on, as I'm getting ready to walk up here, my, I just get a text from a family saying, can you come as soon as church ends? I have a family waiting for me as soon as church ends. 
That's, that's, be, that's really distracting. Right? I have to take my phone out. I have to set it all back there because I can't even think about it. But then I realize something. If we're doing something for the kingdom of God, if we're answering a call in our life, then the obstacles and the opposition have to come with it. The threat level of what you're actually doing has to come with it. And so when you feel that stress, like, man, I remember coming to church and wearing like a hairnet and doing all the different things. And it's like, now look how beautiful your hair is and look how glorious. And you kind of get like, but now look, it's a whole new season. By the way, my season, genie season, a lot of us are dealing with parents that have like grown older and we're on the verge of like, how do we as good, who want to be good, honorable, God-fearing children, how do we answer the call to be good children to our parents that are now more maniacal than my one-year-old who changes my subscription packages? How do we answer the God, God's call? We answer God's call by simply humbling ourselves like Nehemiah did. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Take the time to realize that the most difficult opposition comes a lot of times from those around you. One final thing. Be prepared for this, church. When you answer that call, some of the most difficult opposition that you're going to face is going to be from those around you. It's hard to believe that my parents, people that I love, people that were members of this church for many, many years. My dad was a deacon here. My mom taught children's church here. My family's been involved with this church for years. Long before I ever applied for the job here, my family had roots in this church. It's hard to believe that that same family sits Sunday mornings at home, unable to watch computers, unable to answer phones because they don't have them, because somehow they've allowed themselves to believe that they're problematic. Something like the internet becomes something that's overwhelming for them. And so these very beloved parents of mine who I so desperately long to serve and, and be honorable to, I have to answer a new call. How do I do that when it's so frustrating? So frustrating. I'm sure Nehemiah said, Lord, seriously, we have to build now at some point with our hands on our swords? I mean, how much building can you do in this position? But whatever the position was is what was required. And what we're going to learn as we go through the book is it doesn't matter what the opposition is. It doesn't matter what the obstacles are as you keep focused on the task. And what is the task? What ultimately is God asking me to do, asking you to do? Make go make disciples, right? It's not just build walls. I, I got to tell you this, guys, that no matter what we think about Nehemiah, if I can just convince you of one thing, next time we do it, we should probably do Ezra Nehemiah. We should do the fullness of the story because Nehemiah is the third line in the saga. It's not just about building walls. In the end, walls don't make us safe. Do any of you feel safe right now? Does any of you feel like the world we live in is safe? No. I'm pretty sure that the missiles and the things that we've developed today, walls don't make us safe anymore. Good, good walls make good neighbors. What? Really? I mean, is that what makes good neighbors? I think good relationships make good neighbors. Because people in the Midwest, my aunt lives in Kansas, they don't have walls. They don't have fences. When you walk out into your backyard and there's 60 other houses, all 60 houses dump into one common area. They're all together. They're all looking at each other, living in each other's lives. If you guys have ever been to the Midwest, it's shocking that people live like that, right? California, we're like, build a wall, add a fence, add a tree, add a tree behind the fence, and somehow, if we live in the cocoon, we're safe. First one in the garage and closes it, you know, wins. It's not true. It's never been true, and it'll never be true. Answer the call in your life. Establish worship with the Lord. Establish worship in the house of the Lord, because you know what? They wanted to call the Spirit of the Lord back to a place that they knew him. 
They wanted to reinstate something that they once had. Temple worship meant that the Lord inhabited a place within the temple, right? A place that was so sacred that no one could go, and only one person could go once a year, and he only went in there behind the six-inch thick cloth to do one thing. And what was that? Pray for the house of Israel that the Lord would receive their 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 tithe for the year and forgive them of their sins he had a rope around his leg and bells sewn into his garment as he went in there and prayed he continuously made noise to let them know that the lord was listening to their prayer and that they had a hope that the lord would answer it but if the bells stop ringing and the individual ceased to be there's only one way to get him out pull pull right you couldn't go in there because that's where the lord existed But what did Jesus institute upon his death, burial, and resurrection? He instituted this ministry where the paraclete would walk alongside of us, that he would instill in each one of us this dudamas, this powerful God, this dynamic spirit of God that now would live inside of me and you. So that wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever call we answer in our life, we don't represent ourselves or Lighthouse Church or Costa Mesa or east side. No, you represent the king of kings wherever you go and whatever you do. Matthew, whoever you juggle for, you're juggling on behalf of the king of kings. That's, that makes juggling really exciting, by the way, right? You're juggling to say, hey, look, let me get your attention. Let me show you something and tell you something that I want to tell you, that God has called me to speak to you guys and share something with you that's so significant, it can change your life. One final thing, and then we're going to have communion. I can't say it enough. If you have not combined call and your job together, then you're missing out on something. The most exciting thing I can offer you for 2023 is not that a new year means everything is going to go our way and all the doom and gloom is behind us. I can't tell you that. Matter of fact, this gray, gloomy weather for me feels very doom and gloomy already. I'm just not a big fan of gray. Some people love it. But I can tell you this, the fact that I got up this morning and felt the load of wanting to share God's word and felt the load of what it's going to be like to try to console Michelle, someone who's my age, my my wife and me's age, Jean, my age, someone who has a similar marriage and time, what it's going to be like to do that a week from now on top of prepping for a message reminds me that as long as I answer the call, even if it doesn't make any sense at all, it's still worth it. It's still worth getting up. It's still worth slogging it out. It's still worth putting your clothes on and doing what you have to do. All of you carrying some kind of burden this morning. And what you need to do this morning is really just pray and ask God to just take that burden from you from being your problem and your thorn, as Paul once tried to do, and simply say, okay, Lord, if it won't pass, then so be it. Use it for the kingdom of God. Because it won't go away, so it can be the driving force in my life. May that be the proverbial carrot hanging on a string in front of you as you run the race to win. And may you realize something. If you're kingdom building, it's coming. And every day that you kingdom build, it's not going to end. And as soon as you deal with one problem and dust yourself off and think, fine, this, I got this whole week now to breathe. <laughs> your tire's going to be flat and all of a sudden you put the wrong gas in your car. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be like a whole new ridiculous conundrum just waiting for you to say, really? You think it's going to be that easy to build the kingdom of God? 
God has called each and every one of you. God called Nehemiah, God called Ezra, God called Zerubbabel. They all went and tried to fulfill something in their life, and it's still undone. And so we have to realize that in our life too. We are followers of Christ like they are, and God has called us to do, and it may feel undone. America may feel undone. The U.S. may feel undone. This one nation under God may feel like it's coming undone, but that's not our problem. Our problem is to address the call that God has placed on our life and speak truth to the people that he has placed in our life. And that's another thing we're going to talk about in three weeks. Who are the people that God has placed you in the path of? And what are you doing every day to communicate to them? There's only one way, one truth, and one life. His name is Jesus, and let me share with you how I can make you a disciple who loves God with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul. Because if we're going to accomplish anything this year at church, if we're going to do anything of significance, it's not rebuild something that's temporal. That wall, no matter how magnificent, by the way, I've got some fabulous pictures of Nehemiah's wall. It's a fabulously thick, incredible wall. It's just a remnant now. We need to build things that last. Go back to James. Lay up where treasures, where men cannot destroy, where moth cannot rust, and all the different things that the earth can do to destroy. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourself salvation. Invest into the people that you so desperately ask God, why did you place them in my life? Maybe just for that one reason. The, the biggest thorn in your life this year may be your biggest opportunity to share faith and show faith. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask Randy to come up and share communion with you guys, and we're going to take a moment to supplicate and think about the things of the Lord. Father God, this morning I just can't help but think about Zerubbabel waking up one morning and saying, it's not well in my soul. And right now, this promised land that you have promised our people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is undone. And so I'm willing to get up this morning, and I'm willing to change my direction and change my path and change all the things that I hoped for and wanted for to try to go home and restore this thing that you have called us to, this incredible temple, Solomon's temple. And I'm going to give it everything I got to build and I'm going to give it everything I got to restore and I'm going to do all I can to be a wise leader. And no matter what the result is, Father, may it be well in your heart, may it be well in your soul, knowing that I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm struggling with this. I know that our people have caused this. We are displaced for a reason. We have been conquered for a reason. We have forgot who you are and what you asked us to do. And Lord, maybe there's a reason why we as this one nation under God, this great, incredible place, this United States of America, maybe we can just sit back and think about that for a second. Maybe we're exactly where we're going to be headed because we too are forgetting who we once were and what it was once about. Bible, the most sacred thing in the world, was once curriculum for the schools for 200 years, the first 200 years, the founding years of this country. The Bible was a sacred and holy and beautiful and powerful document. And today, Father, look at what we try to do with even the Ten Commandments. As quickly as we can, we pull them down off the walls and we fall back on things like separation of church and state. Father, there is no separation of God and your people. Father, may you waken our hearts this year. May you remind us that there is something that supersedes the job that we do. The job that we do will change. The titles of that job will change, but the call on your life to kingdom build will never change. May we answer the call to kingdom build today. 
because of what your son did for us on that cross some 2,000 years ago. Father, we do it all and say it all in your son's precious and holy name. Randy come up with his wife. Randy is uh, our lead elder. You can go here to your center mass. I'm going to have Dee and Connie go right. Uh, Jennifer, if you could come up here with me. I'm going to be left. You go center mass here, right here. I'm going to give you one of these mics. I'm going to turn this on and hope that this all works. This is... daughter-in-law up here with her. Patty, this is going to be fabulous. This is Randy. Randy Strait. He's our lead elder, and uh, I asked Randy to come up here and lead with you guys. Once again, it was supposed to be the Vision Sunday, and I was really looking forward to introducing you guys to the elders, the staff. I'm still looking forward to that, but you know what? I just want you guys to realize everything that happens in this church happens because of our elders. I'm not going to try to tell you that pastors have been running this church for years. They don't. This is an elder-led church, which means there's a group of godly men and women that stand together in prayer and hold everything up that we say and do. And so I just wanted to share this first communion of the new year with Randy. Randy, did you want to just maybe lead us in a prayer for the bread and for the cup? Father God, we thank you for this evening, this morning. We thank you for the time that we have spent with you in the last couple of weeks. Thinking about your son, thinking about the birth his life, thinking about what that meant to us, all that he gave for us amidst everything that had happened in his life in the last three years of his preaching, teaching, walking, fellowshipping. We thank you for everything that he's given us, everything that you've given us. What a great life he is. Lord, we so much consider where we stand here today, what's going on in our lives, and how you have affected it. Everything that he's done for us has brought us, has lifted us, loved us, and cared for us. Those of us who are parents know what it means when you're here with us and we watch over our kids. It's the same. Our life is because of you. So today, we honor you. We honor your son. In giving communion, we understand what he gave for us. That he gave up his body. That we may <clears throat> know him from now on. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your gift. Amen. Please come and get the elements.
was beautiful yesterday at the wedding to see that one of the first things that Josh and Jenna wanted to do as a couple was take communion. And they got a chance to do that in front of their church family and friends. And mom was talking about some different things and I was reminded of something. We break the bread for us, right? But I just want to remind you, when you hear the words, the body of Christ, and someone says, broken for you, his body wasn't broken. The scripture tells us something about that, right? It says, no body of his body no bone of his body could be broken. So what was it that they actually did to his body that made it so incredible? They pierced his side to make sure that he was no longer breathing. You see, the cross was meant to be the most brutal form of crucifixion available. And they couldn't have someone hanging up there as the sun was going down, still alive. But the reality was, as beaten as he was, and it was horrifically beaten, this body was never broken. Because prophecy said that. And I tell you guys this, if God's word's saying something to you, and you struggle with understanding it, you're in good company. Many of us have dedicated our lives to understanding God's word. There's no mandate that says you have to fully understand it. It's complex because it was written by someone who's not us, whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But he broke it down into the simple, into the minutia for us. Because something we can all relate to is hunger. I hope you're hungry for the things of the Lord this year. I am. And I want to see the city of Costa Mesa and surrounding places changed. And if you guys don't want to see that, then be cautious about taking the body of Christ in. Because he said, every time you do this, every time, do this in remembrance of me. After he passed the bread, he picked up the cup and reminded them that prophecy in the Old Testament law had a mandate, a mandate that would once and for all come to completion in the blood of Christ. You see, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin according to the Old Testament. And so Jesus would pay the ultimate price and he would shed the ultimate cost so that that particular prophecy, like many other prophecies, now remains fulfilled. And that every time we pick up this juice, this wine, this symbolic drink and say, do this in remembrance of him, we're reminded that we are made clean by him and him alone. And when you answer the call, you answer to him and him alone. May your distractions be fewer this year. May your focus be stronger this year. Because every time you do this, you do this in remembrance of him.
your love only. Boy, this New Year's, we're going to get on the right key, okay? Your love only. Will your love, oh Lord, reach us to the heaven? Your faithfulness stretches to the sky. Your righteousness, like the mighty mountain. Your justice flows like the ocean tide. I will lift my voice to worship you, my King. I will find my strength in the shadow. No place I would rather be 
you church have a great sunday love you all Speak Jesus.